0: We just
1: stepped on their face with a boot and broke their nose. One, two, three. Bullshit. Welcome to the Tide Run Podcast. I'm your host, David Thay, joined with my two brothers in Dog Nation, uh, Scott the Status ass, and Dr. Jay. Dr. J tell the people what's up.
2: We'll be fine as long as we have Stetson. <laughs> and
1: Scott, tell the people what's up.
0: Miss me with any Bill Simmons takes. Oh Lord. <laughs> Jay and I had a good laugh about that earlier. By the way, um, If
1: either of you guys watch the preseason games for the L.A. Rams, each game is the full Stetson Bennett experience. Yes, it is. You watch it. It's like starts the game with two or three balls that should probably be picked. Then it's like a really athletic scramble. And then he reels off like 10 or 12 just absolute dimes that you're like, yep, this is why you got drafted.
0: Yeah, man. man. It's the. All right. The, the Rorschach test, the ink blot test, where they're like, what do you see in this picture? That's the Stetson, That's Bennett, Stetson experience. Bennett experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like whatever you already believed or wanted to see, it's there You'll somewhere see. in That's the whole what you thing. That is up.
1: true. You thought he sucked. You'd be like, look at those two picks that he should have thrown. And then if you think he's good, you'd be like, well, look at those eight straight completions he just threw. And so it's very, very true. However, Stetson Bennett is no longer a bulldog. He finally Made graduated. Did he graduate? Or... Well, he did graduate. That <laughs> he, <laughs> he didn't L-O-G finish his master's. Running out but, of
0: eligibilities.
1: Hudson <laughs> <that's laughs> ben gone, y'all, and um, we'll be replacing him with Carson Beck, who was officially named of the starter. Which leads us back to the offense, because you know there is an old saying that uh, defense wins championships. That's false. Offense wins championships in college football, but you have to have some defense. And I, the- I
0: can I contend that offense and defense are required to win championships at basically all levels of all sports.
1: <laughs> that That's true, but it's more fun to say that offense wins championships because it's just so counterintuitive to what people say because
0: it's stupid. Like, I, I'm gonna start saying special teams wins championships, beamer, beamer ball wins championships.
1: I was at the number one defense like last, last year and they were terrible. So, yeah, miss me with the defense wins championships. Okay, miss me with that. Go ahead, Jay. You had a thought, I could see it on the
2: You tip said of your special time. teams, I was gonna say kicker battle at Georgia this fall. We'll talk about it later
1: in depth. <laughs> no you won't <laughs> okay
0: <laughs> <laughs> they're good they're gonna get like the old ncaa 14 treatment uh kicker number uh 97 97 yeah
1: it's always 90s numbers at georgia we did have some punter in the spring in the uh in the scrimmage i went to two weeks ago some punter wearing number 34 who absolutely was murdering the ball and i don't know who it was because he wasn't on the roster anyways offense um uh, is this right? Did we really average 503 yards per game
0: last year? Mm-hmm. Is did. that
1: right? How much mm-hmm. of that got inflated by the last game or against
0: <laughs> the TCU? Um, offense, though, sixth overall. It's also brought down by the games where we intentionally, yeah. like the Sanford game, where it's 30, nothing at half. And yeah, it's like, said oh, before. it's his mentor, and we're going to just chill, you know, or even the Kent State game where you try and ease up. So,
1: also, this is a really good stat, and I appreciate you putting this in there, Scott. We led we led the nation in yards per play, which if you run a really good indicator of how good an offense is, now they still yeah. got to put the ball in the end zone, but yards per play and red zone efficiency give you pretty good indications of how good an offense was, and we were pretty good at both. Points per game, 42, which is fourth nationally. SV plus we were 11th, and FEI, we were second.
0: Scoring offense will also include your pace of play. Mm. So you know, we tied for first in yards per play, and like you mentioned, that's a very good stable statistic you still have to put the ball in the end zone. So that's score mm-hmm. points, mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes your scoring offense is going to be a function of how good and efficient your offense is. And also how fast you play yeah. or how aggressive you're trying to be in the fourth quarter to run more plays, you know, so we tied with Ohio state for first yards per play. We were only quote unquote fourth in scoring offense, but we're not trying to run a lot of plays in the fourth quarter. Yeah. A team like Ohio State may be a little more likely to throw the ball a few more times in the fourth quarter, sure. get an extra touchdown every other game from that, and that can be the difference. And you might look at points and go, oh, there's a difference, but you know, maybe not so much.
1: We ran the score up in exactly one game all year long, and it's the one that's playing on the SEC Network right now. We scored 65 points to have the biggest bowl run in history, which that's if it. you're going to do it, then that is probably a
0: good time. <laughs> <laughs> which means that uh, the Oregon game and South Carolina game was not running the score up, which is, oof,
1: which is true, but it wasn't. I know. I it really know. didn't. Um, Major Parchers, who do you think we're going to miss the most outside of and Bennett? Because obviously quarterback is the most impactful position. Th- so that's a granted. Darnell. Okay. Yeah. John, what do you think, Jay?
2: I mean, I, my first two thoughts were Broderick Jones and, maybe even Kenny McIntosh, um, just because of our running back situation right now. Yeah, that's fair. And because of the really unique skill set that he had, um, he with some of his receiving numbers, um, he's like on a very short list of players uh who combined some of the statistics statistics he did last year. So um, I mean, I don't I'm probably not going to have that thought many times this year. Like, Oh, mm-hmm. if Kenny McIntosh were there, we would have, <laughs> you know, but, yeah. um, but I'm just looking at his name and thinking, I we don't know yet if we have another guy who can do what he did. Yeah. Um, but yeah. uh, I, I might say Broderick Jones just because um, Ernest Green is going to be new there.
0: The, the one thing I do know is that we may or may not have one guy that exactly fills Kenny Mack's role. Probably as a group, they'll fill that role, you know, but I mean, no guarantees, but probably um, earn a screen may or may not exactly re- replace Broderick Jones, but we'll still have a top five or top 10 freak athlete offensive tackle mm-hmm. on the team that gives you that same flexibility might be on the other side, but the same flexibility of, Hey, let's just run all our screens to his side because he's going to go block cornerbacks because you know (laughs) it's way too fast for a tackle Uh, what i absolutely do know is we will not have somebody who will be able to fill darnell washington's role period no ifs ands or buts and it was a very important role for us because of how much flexibility it gave you where you can keep the same personnel and you can run every play call in the book in part because you could split out brock
1: Browers to play receiver
0: that's what gave you the flexibility but the two of them together yeah. yeah, you could run two tights or four wide and be good at both of them with the one personnel grouping, right? So yeah.
2: And if if I can answer that question again in a slightly different way than probably what you intended, offensively, the thing we're gonna miss the most is gonna be Todd Bunkin. Mm. Right. Preach. I mean that's 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 Preach. the thing that we have the most questions about. I mean, I I guess since Carson Beck is on the field and he is the quarterback, you you might put that as the number one thing we need to see work to yeah. know that it's going to work. But uh, Mike Bobo instead of Todd Munkin is is either number two or or maybe 1B um, behind the quarterback who's actually yeah. on the field. I mean, we think we know what we're going to get from Mike Bobo, but uh, strange to say we haven't seen a Mike Bobo-led offense in Athens or anywhere else for a little bit now. Yeah, it's true. And uh How how much of what he's doing is going to be – what he has always done and how much is going to include what Munkin was doing. Um, I mean, that's, that's really the biggest question.
0: It, uh, it sounds like in general, they're going to run more or less the same offense. Now yeah. the differences we'll see will be not as much 12 because you don't have Darnell. The differences, you know, will be yeah, driven by personnel, not by philosophy too terribly much. The reason though, that, like you said, it's such a big question mark is because Bobo could give you an A or A minus level performance, and that could be a big enough of a drop off to keep you from repeating. Yeah. Because Munken was that a good the last plus, couple of yeah. years. But yeah, Munken was yeah, really good.
1: And the losing Roger Jones, Arnold Washington, Seth Bennett, Warren and Kenny McIntosh, and we didn't even mention AD Mitchell, who did not play the majority of the season, but we rank... 50 second or sorry, 109th nationally in returning production per SP plus, which doesn't matter, but does, but doesn't matter, but kind
0: of does. Yeah. I, I will say this, the really, really talented, big name, you know, national title contending programs. It's very often that they will finish average to below average and returning production and, you know, 60, 80, 100 range, that kind of thing. And it's very often for them to do that. And turn around and win a national title after <laughs> being one hundredth in returning Fair. production. Um, if you are, I don't know, some really, you know, developmental, like if you're NC State, you know, like we have a solid program and we develop our guys, and when they're really veteran, they play for us and they're good. If you're NC State and you are hundredth in returning production, yeah, you're gonna suck. Well, you might have a down year for NC State. Kentucky's
1: a great it's, example of that. Last time Kentucky had a really good senior class, they won eleven games. That's that's what they are. You're right
0: about that. Yeah, or like a yeah, Wake Forest, like lots of these Mm -hmm. solid, stable programs that are have really good coaches and maybe are better than they are historically, but they're counting on that development and veteran aspect. Um, If you're Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, you're you know the first box you're checking off is we got more NFL dudes, and so usually your backups are as well.
1: Jay, what do you feel best about? On this offense heading into the twenty twenty three season,
0: the
2: offensive line yeah, certainly. That's the right answer. And uh, I mean, a second to that might be receivers, but I mean, we are going to have a lot of new guys at at receiver. The um, depth is good. The depth is is good, uh, maybe as good as Kirby has had at that mm. position. Mm-hmm. Um, but the offensive line is is really, really going to be very strong. I think. Um, interestingly. David maybe not quite uh what you saw at the scrimmage in terms of them at the top of their game I think in that oh, first scrimmage it was rough <laughs> um they were they were they were having their hands full I think with some of the interior guys especially but um i uh, just watching the buzz meter uh from from fall camp uh, people have been raving about the offensive line uh, some of the coaches talking like you know they they think it's one of the best they've had um so that's that's going to be the strength for sure um, interestingly, certainly the biggest question mark on the offensive line is going to be left tackle and that blind side pass protection, uh, is going to be probably even more important this year than it has been in the last couple. So, um, I know they really, really like Ernest Green and they also really like Austin Blasky, who probably both will play some at left tackle. And I think we'll do very well, but if we start to have issues there, um, that could be a problem.
0: Yeah. It's, it's kind of crazy that we can replace both tackles as NFL draft picks and say, yeah, the O-line's the strongest thing coming back. Right. (laughs) Um, And it's because you're replacing it with a guy that's going to be a top 10 pick in a year and another guy at tackle who's a second-year player who you know, looks like a future first or second-round pick or something as well. And then, oh, yeah, even at this point in the season, they feel pretty good about seven or eight guys playing right now and that's and before you potentially have another one or two guys that continue. I mean, you get to the end of the season and have nine or ten offensive linemen that they feel good about playing. Most teams in college are trying to get to five, and they're having to just stop at three or four and deal with it. And we're here last year, yeah. <laughs> so, having to go get
1: people from Vanderbilt to fill up the offensive line, and yeah. and to your point, Scott, like all these guys that a lot of these guys played last year, like. Mm-hmm. They played. They didn't play 700 snaps, but they played 100 snaps. A lot of these guys, they played real snaps. Mim started.
0: Mim started the Ohio State game. He did. Mm -hmm. You know the same way that Jones basically, you know, came in and played most of the title game the year before Mm -hmm. when they had to move uh, Sawyer back to guard. Back to guard. Yeah. Um and and I will add, you know, mentioned wide receivers and offensive line. Obviously, the tight end. Group is very good because it has Brock Bowers and it could have all walk-ons after that and still be a very good tight end yeah. room. The other guys there are talented but very much unproven.
1: And you mentioned the twelve personnel. I am wondering if we will see less twelve personnel because, mm-hmm. in what I've for what I've seen, I've gotten to see, I guess, two practices in a scrimmage. It was Delp and Brock Bowers out there. Now, do I think the um execution of what we do in those personal groups will be different? I do think so because you have Delp who is essentially a wide receiver that can block really well. And Brock Bowers who is a running back that can block very well and catch the ball very well. And so I feel like you actually have a lot more vertical passing um, threat out of those two, whereas neither can do what Darnell Washington did when you had a tackle that ran a four, six playing, you know, on the line of, on the of, the line of scrimmage. But The other side of this is, what do you think is the area of the biggest concern and why is it running back?
0: (laughs) I mean, it it could also be quarterback because quarterback is unproven. Unproven. Um, I think, in general, everybody feels pretty good about quarterback. But, yeah, it's unproven, and it's just the most important position by a mile. Like, you know, if you asked me, would I rather – play only with walk-on running backs and get A-caliber quarterback play, or I'm taking the A-quarterback play. Mm-hmm. So, dude, you got A-quarterback play. Whatever, yeah, give me some walk-ons and running back. We'll be fine.
1: Yeah, who was USC's running back last year? I know the answer, but the point is it doesn't matter, and they had one of the best offenses in college football. That's my point. Didn't matter. It was Travis Dye, by the way. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, yeah, speaking
0: he is just okay or whatever. Yeah, speaking mm-hmm. of the running backs. Oh, go ahead, Jay.
1: Oh, no, I'll,
2: I'll tell you why the biggest concern is running back. Um, some whispers lately that Dylan Bell has been practicing. I'm not telling you that Dylan Bell is going to play running back, uh, but I knew that's that's how crazy it's gotten there in the in the trainer's room <laughs> with the running backs coming in and out that people are like, hmm, can Brock Bowers do this? Can Dylan yes. Bell do this? Does anybody know? Like, uh, For all the reasons y'all just said, think we'll fine. Um, but, uh, no, on the offense at the moment, that is certainly the biggest
0: concern. And we, we've, so, we talked. yeah, I would say that seeing that Dylan Bell had any play time at running back, you know, makes you kind of raise your eyebrows a little bit. Yeah. Uh, from what I heard, it was literally a play, literally a snap. Right. And so that to me is a very different thing than Dylan Bell's getting snaps at running back. No, he got a snap. If I'm the offensive coordinator, you know why he gets a snap? Because when we played Ohio State, they snuck in a wide receiver who has a running back build in that tailback. Pipes down the straight. same. Yep. And, and you know what happens also? If our running back room is a mess and nobody knows who's going to play, then you can throw somebody back there, and the opposing defense may not immediately recognize that number, and it may not raise a red flag either.
1: And the truth is, like, you feel, we know exactly what we have in the best number two, number three running back in the SEC. I'm joking. um, <laughs> but, but old number 30, he's like old, reliable. He's like, a, he's like a Honda civic. He's not sexy, but you know exactly what you're going to get out of him. And Kendall Milton is like the sports car that you're having to go take to get an oil change every two weeks because it's leaking oil. Like, he is so talented, but so unreliable. And so he should be the guy that's having that monster singer year to make himself the next draft eligible running back. But you don't know if you rely on him.
0: And we know and Robinson should be your yeah. other breakout super star. Yeah. You know, Robinson and Milton are the two running backs on the room that are, they were blue chip, blue chip recruits, yeah. you know, by which, I mean, like guys can be a four star and not be considered a draftable NFL player. Right. So, technically a blue chip but that's you know is it really in name only those are the two guys that were the serious talent in that room
1: and Dejan Edwards is the really talented really Dejan Edwards is a really good college football player but yes
0: and we need him so and we need him thank you
1: and we need him but like the wild card here is Andrew Paul who I told you guys like it was early but he didn't look good when I saw him and having watched his high school stuff it was not the same player now we'll see what he looks like in three months when it really matters mm-hmm. But right now he's not that guy because he should be the one that steps in as another really high recruit who could do a lot of the Kenny McIntosh stuff Jay he's he was the guy mm-hmm. but I, I just don't know guys um
2: we we might need like a mid-season walk-on addition uh like Named Betson Stinnett, who comes to you know, like <laughs> pl- play a little running back, and you, you never know. I'm just, I'm saying, just keep your eyes peeled. And um yeah, we mentioned God, receiver who,
1: God Turley. Who's God Turley? <laughs> God Turley? And we mentioned receiver, but um I think I mentioned this on the other, in the last podcast. If you would not listened to it, I got to see the scrimmage and broke it down. But it's the guys you think love it. Seems to be somebody they've gotten really high on. He was not running as much with the first in the spring. He seems to be solidly on the first team now, especially when we go 10 personnel. It's him, McConkey, uh Marcus Rosemy, Jack Saint, and Aaron Smith. And that's a pretty well-rounded group. It's got a lot of speed, got a little bit of size of Marcus Rosemy, Jack Saint. And like, I, that's a well-rounded group. I feel better in 10 personnel with that group than with any group we've had in a, a while. Um mm-hmm.
2: Receiver yeah. is literally the the exact opposite story of running back right now. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like there, there can't be enough good stories about the receivers. Like the guys, you know, are back and supposedly according to what people say, they're all better than they were last year that we've got transfers, you know, that that are coming on and are playing really well. I, the buzz guy of the offense maybe has been your guy, David Muse. I told you just like, like a still making plays like receiver. We just, we don't have enough, we don't have enough field to play all the receivers that supposedly are practicing well
1: right now. It's, it's the complete opposite story of running back. Makai Muse is literally Rudy. He's the guy you look at and think, like, why is that, that little chunky midget out there? And then (laughs) he breaks people on routes. He catches, he's probably got the best hands on the team outside of Brock Bowers. I'm telling you guys. And he's never going to hit a long pass play. But if you throw anywhere within, anywhere within his five foot eight rate catch radius, it's getting caught and he's getting open. And then he's a, he's got that pump returner ability to run with the ball after the catch. So at the end of the two minute session in the scrimmage, they threw him in with the ones and he caught a pass. It was just like, this guy's the little engine that could. So he is my favorite bulldog right now. Um, and you'll hear me talk a lot about him. Um, quarterback. What I saw to Beck is probably no different than what y'all have heard. He looks good. We'll see what he looks like when the lights come on. We, we just don't know.
0: At, and at, we and we'll see and we'll see if when the lights come on, it's a glorified seven on seven or not. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's the other thing when it comes to what are we gonna get out of quarterback is we might not know what we're gonna get out of quarterback for real, as far as what we're gonna get a quarterback what until to get a quarterback <laughs> as far as winning conference titles and playoff games until a Tennessee game yeah. or SEC game or yeah. you know, playoffs so hopefully at that point he's good to go but and,
1: and he's one of those quarterbacks that we've had that he's one of those quarterbacks that I think might be a true guy that's better in 10 personnel than doing the stuff that Bennett did and we'll see if that ends up holding true okay the defense 309 yards per game last year which was 10th 4.8 yards per play which is 16th a little lower than I thought actually. 15 points per game, which put us fifth in scoring defense. SP plus we were third and FBI, we were second. So it's kind of like boring old hat at this point. But Georgia, you basically pencil them in at the beginning of the year to have a top five defense. And then you wait to see whether that's like top two or more closer to five, and whether it's like just a good defense or whether it's a historically good defense. Last year was just a good defense.
0: Yeah, and no by well, and if you go by SP plus and FEI, it was you know, that's where you start opponent adjusted and stuff like that. Even in those metrics that try and adjust for everything, it's perfect. And if you play a super duper Iowa conservative level yeah. of game, it makes your defense look a little bit better because they are playing to protect their defense and that kind of stuff. Right. So you could still argue that it was the best defense in the nation it, certainly is in the com- was in the conversation yeah whereas the like the yards per play get inflated from like lsu garbage time mm-hmm. right uh they get inflated by playing ohio state um, he's really good yeah you know so even Tennessee. I, that's a
1: top five offense
0: we played yeah. yeah can i can i read the list of major departures that i have please prepared do. here for you please do all right uh jaylen carter Nolan Smith, Jalen Carter, Keely Ringo, Jalen Carter, Chris Smith, Jalen Carter, and Robert Beal.
1: No Alexander, who apparently got lied to by Kirby.
2: <laughs> that- speaking, speaking of NFL sidebar, the word out of Philadelphia is they cannot believe how good Jalen Carter is, <laughs> and that the defending NFC champion got maybe the best player in the draft. Shoot. They're just they're just talking about. Uh, they're calling him baby rhino, apparently. Um, anyway, they're they're quite pleased with what they've seen in camp so far from Jalen Carter.
1: You mean Jalen Carter, who all through last year was one of the three best players in college football, got into the NFL and is one of the three best players in
0: the draft? That's a Evidently. shocker. I know. <laughs> we're, we're all shocked. Who who could have seen this coming? Whoops! this? Like,
1: we said this like this stuff about him. He got a speeding ticket. <laughs> you people are crazy. He got a speeding ticket. Oh, I don't know about his character. Oh, stop it stop it. Like the dude can play. He got all the film in the world. showing he can play. It's ridiculous. Um, play. And I'm throwing shade on Bear Alexander for those of you that don't know, because the reports coming out, his handler basically saying that Kirby would not promise him a starting position. And there was some beef over NFL in NIL money, which is why he left to which the message boards I went to, I thought they were going to roast Kirby a hundred percent flamed to Alexander saying good riddance. Don't let the door hit you the butt on the way out. Imagine somebody who thought they want, were going to have to play for Georgia as a freshman
0: and got mad when they weren't. <laughs> like, Well, and it's not even that. It's that he was mad that, according to what his handler said, right, he was upset that he wasn't the clear-cut starter getting all the snaps. Yeah. And it was like, that's not how this works, man. Like, Jalen Carter took till his junior year to really get all the snaps. He
1: didn't play all the time as a freshman. Yeah. Like,
0: because there's there's other dudes, yeah. and everybody still gets their shine. Everybody still gets to make their plays, get their tape. They still all get drafted high. You know, no, no need to get it twisted. But we said it before, the D-line guys that have, you know, obliquely commented about it. They do not seem to care one bit that he is gone. So My if they um, don't care, just, don't stay care. At,
2: just stay at Georgia. Philadelphia will draft
1: you. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the guy that I went, the booster that, uh, spon- that sponsored us to go to the uh, clinic, he said that basically they heard they hated they hated uh, Bear Alexander. That's his. Yeah, he said that in a nice way. They did not. The kids did not like him, and so there was no love lost when he was gone. Nobody was sad he was gone. They thought he was a headache. So that was that was that's the David Bethay interpretation of
0: what they said, but. Nobody can yeah. be left. We, we got other dudes that are good that are also liked and work hard. So um, it, Michael Williams- did, y'all, did, y'all, did y'all catch him uh, loafing after the play, doing his best Brenton Cox in that game the other day? <laughs> I did not it's, because I was yeah. too busy trying to fix our third down defense as I detailed you guys it's, earlier. Yeah, it's it's another defensive lineman that only wants to rush the pass for every play and is going to transfer a loaf. So we'll see how that goes.
1: How many over or under a number of schools he goes to? Two and a half.
0: That's tough because he's only gonna one he's more. He's gonna year. try and go. Yeah. yeah. He's
2: gonna try and go pro. I might
1: go under. He could go to Texas next year, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um on the defense, it's hard to protect starters to the defensive line because we rotate so much, depending on whether we start starting our mint front or our other front. Like, but essentially you're gonna have some mixture of your edges being Marvin Jones Jr and Chaz Chambliss with um, some mixture of Xavier, Sori, Jamon Dumas, Dumas Johnson, and Smile Munden. In, and Jalen Walker. And Jalen Walker as your linebackers. And again, it's hard because even Chambliss and Marvin Jones junior are the kind of hybrids. So, like, are they playing in? Anderle- and then we uh, know our secondary is pretty set, at least at four of the five spots. We know our star is going to be Tyke Smith. Javon Ballard has moved back to safety. You will have Kamara Lassiter at one corner. You will have Malachi Starks at one safety. And then the other corner is where I can't tell y'all for sure. He's starting guys. I think y'all have gotten some of the same reports. Is that right, Jay? It might Mm -hmm.
2: be Humphrey, right? I mean, I, you might've said that Dalen Everett had, you know, the job to lose going into fall. And maybe that was the case. And it sounds like he has practiced well, and he's definitely going to play. He may even start. He may even still have the starting job opposite Lassiter, but Julian Humphrey has had a really good camp, and he very, he very well may start opposite Lassiter. He's had a really good camp. Um, so
0: before we blow past it, I'm going to go back to Edge because I think there's a good chance that Damon Wilson and Darius Smith both get a lot of playtime there.
1: We are, like, like the amount of linebackers we have is absurd. I couldn't keep up with him. And we didn't even mention guys like Mapinga, like, who looked good in the spring, like, they have all these twitchy, six foot three, six foot four, two hundred fifteen, two hundred thirty pound guys that can run, and it's to the point where like I'm sitting there checking my roster because they all look the same. Look the same. They look large and freakishly athletic. Like it's absurd, and you understand why we lost all the transfers we did. And we said this in the spring. They realized that the guys behind them were better, and they weren't going to play, or at least for some of them, that's that was the case.
0: And I think there's probably a reason. We didn't really go hard after any outside linebacker types, any Mm -hmm. transfers there, right? Um, Biggest question mark on the defense for you guys. It's defensive line and whether we have Mm -hmm. seriously disruptive game records there. I don't have a lot of question about whether we have good players at D-line or good D-line as a whole. I think you're going to have six, seven, eight guys that can play at a pretty high level but is that going to be guys that are going to do a good job and play the run and be physical at point of attack? Or is that going to be guys that are grabbing centers by the ankles and throwing them into the running back like Jordan Davis or blowing past people like Jalen Carter? So will we be truly disruptive there or not is a, a TBD for me.
2: Yeah, I and I might say that same thing another way by saying Michael Williams this year, is he really good or is he elite? And, and is, he, is he healthy? Is he healthy? And because uh, he's he's the one, right? He, I mean, of the of the defensive lineman, he he is the chosen one. That if if we have mm-hmm. a game wrecker at that position, it'll be him. Um, secondary to that is is who's behind Chambliss. I mean, I, Chambliss is a solid edge mm-hmm. and will set that boundary the way that that we want him to. Um, but he's certainly not the game record pass rusher, you know, off the edge. Um, is Marvin Jones ready to do that? Darius Smith, one of the true freshmen, um, are are they ready to provide that in a way that
0: Chambliss is probably just not going to? And and on the Michael Williams front, like you said, he has the chance to be the disruptive guy this year. Yeah. yeah. Last year with Jalen Carter, he was the only guy we really had like that, and the defense was a little up and down on that with how healthy Carter was. He missed some time and you could tell, right? And he was there for the most important games, which is good. But if Michael Williams were to miss a month at the end of the season, that includes Tennessee and the SEC championship game. You wouldn't he's, about your that. One, he's your one guy that's given you that you could, that could be scary, right? You also have to hope that maybe by the end of the season, somebody like Jordan Hall, has started to really work into mm. the rotation to give you that. Um, but there's no guarantees with freshmen for sure.
1: Yeah. And as much as I do feel good about the upcoming corners, I don't know that there is that clear NFL caliber corner on our roster right now. Like there's a lot of guys that I think could be like that. But like Kamara Lasseter wasn't outstanding last year, but he was good enough. But he wasn't standing last year. The year before that, remember, we were <laughs> very average at one corner and pretty good at the other with by the end of the year at Keeley Ringo. And so my thing is as up and down as Keely Ringo was, when he was up, he could cover just about anybody. And do we have somebody that on their good days can cover the best receivers, can cover a, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr.? Like, do we have a guy that on his best days can
0: compete with those guys? I,
1: yeah. I, I don't know.
0: Yeah. Are, are we, we going to have a corner who's going to play at an A level, or are we going to have four guys that are a B or a B-plus? Exactly. And that's kind of yeah. what we said about the D-line. Like,
1: you have Jay Carlin, who's an A-plus
0: player, and then you have a bunch of the old
1: heads, Brinson and Logue, and those guys who are, who are like third-team All-SEC players, but nobody realizes it because they don't get the shine. And probably all of them end up playing in the league. And we all said this. This is the kind of year where our defense might put eight guys in the NFL, but nobody drafted in the top 40. like that is a very possible
0: outcome. Mm-hmm. You know, very... having said that we'll still have defensive players drafted in the top 40 because you'll end up with smell Monday and,
1: is he draft eligible?
0: he'll he be a junior. Yeah.
1: Oh yes. Yeah. So he'll go run like a four, four and people slobber all over him and yeah, he'll yeah. go, he'll go he'll go to the top of the second round. Yeah. But the point being like, there isn't a, a, a guaranteed top 15, 10 pick like the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And yet, this is still a defense full of NFL players and somebody will pop and surprise us. Smile Munden is a great uh, option to do that. Just like Walker was Quay Walker was a couple of years ago. He was not the one that you expected to sh- all of a sudden shoot up in the first round, especially as a guy who split time. He didn't take all the snaps at inside back or he split them, but he ends up shooting up into the first round um, because of his measurables. And that fact that he was really good when he did play.
0: If yep. the defense
1: and- go ahead, talk, Scott
0: Oh, uh, say, so, and you know, we talked about, the corners and if you know we have a lot of guys that are good but maybe maybe we don't have anybody that's great. We'll have to see obviously. I think there's a chance that we could have a really, really good safety duo behind those guys. Yeah. And so there's a chance that shoot having B plus corner play could be plenty good if those safeties are really what they could be.
1: If Javon Bullard is as good at safety as he was at Star, you'll Probably have the best safety tandem in the country, mm-hmm. and that's a big if though. Because in my opinion, Javon Bullard is the best star Kirby's had since he's been here, which is saying a lot.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And having said that, Tyke Smith is a freaking All American 2020. We forget that, and Bullard's better than him. Joe Agüero may play a lot there too. He he will. And but I'm saying, Tyke Smith is an All American 2020. Yeah, Bullard's better than him in my opinion, and. I probably I said this all offseason. I probably would have them flip and put Smith back at safety and put Bullard at star. But you know, it's an embarrassment of riches to have, where essentially among your three safeties and you know you will count the star as safety, you have four players you think are really really good, all four of who are probably going to play on Sundays.
0: It's a good problem. One yeah. of whom is a freshman. Oh, and your and of those four guys, it's a first year guy, a second year, a third. And of your guys, you hit on one of those guys every single year.
1: Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Say what were you about to say?
2: Yeah. I said, don't forget that Dan Jackson is back.
1: Oh, that's true. Uh, Yeah. And we still have David Daniel Sisavah, who is still on our team and still a two as he's been for the last three years. Quick question If the defense underperforms, what happened?
2: If we're not talking about health, right? I mean, right. Taking health out of it. Yes. Barring injury. Um, you're talking about something on the edge of the defense, right? Uh-huh. Our, not only our, our talent, but also our depth is unbelievable uh, sort of up the middle of the defense, especially at linebacker, mm-hmm. but also the safeties we were just talking about. And yeah. really, I, I feel like even in, in the middle of the defensive line, like Scott was saying, are any of those guys on the defensive line elite game wreckers? Like maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Um, but they're all really, really good. If something goes yeah. wrong, um, it was we didn't get really what we needed from the corners or from the outside backers. The, those are the question marks. And if it underperforms, we, we probably struggled on the outside.
0: Yeah, I would just say if it's if the defense can't be disruptive enough, and or this you know things work in tandem, right? If you're not disruptive enough, a lot less third and longs, bad down in distance, uh, or if other teams finally realized thank goodness nobody listens to this podcast if other teams finally realize, throw the ball every play against us yeah just throw the ball every play yeah never yep. try and run Yep. maybe we're at the point where people are like holy crap we've tried everything for two years like forget all normal rules of what to do like let's try anything and maybe they do that and just sling the ball every play please don't nobody listen to this
1: Unfortunately, we're having some technical difficulties with Zoom, so I have lost Scott the Stat Assassin, and Dr. J. So I will be wrapping up this podcast with the predictions from the two of them that they sent to me, and we'll put a bow on this whole thing. Now, for the last, oh, I don't know, four or five years, Scott has made the exact same prediction for Georgia's regular season of 11-1. Scott, for the first time since we've been doing this podcast, is going to break that trend and predict Georgia to go 12 and 0 in the regular season. Jonathan also predicted Georgia to go 12 and 0. And I am joining them, making them making us unanimous in picking Georgia to go undefeated through their regular season. Now, where we differ was Georgia's postseason projections. Jonathan is the most optimistic of the three of us. He has Georgia returning to the college ball playoff. And winning it all for a three-peat, something that hasn't been achieved by any of the dynasties of the last 30 years, the 1990 Nebraska teams weren't able to do it, the 2000s USC teams weren't able to do it, and the 2000 aughts and on Nick Saban Alabama teams have not done a three-peat. So if we pull this off, Georgia goes down as, without question, the greatest college ball dynasty of the last 30 years, if not longer. Having said that, the fact that none of these other fantastic historic teams have been able to pull off a three-peat gives me a lot of hesitancy. I can't tell you any one specific reason why Georgia won't win the national championship. I think that Georgia is going to have one of the three or four best teams in college football, maybe even the best team. I just know that it takes a lot to go right to win a national championship, and it's really hard to win one, much less three in a row, and... I just don't think it's the most likely outcome. I think Georgia will be good enough to win one. I think they will compete for one. But actually winning a third straight, I think, is just not a likely outcome. And so so I have Georgia going 12-0, winning the SC Championship, and then losing in the playoff to take your pick, a revenge game from Ohio State, or a USC team that finally puts it together, or some other really high-quality opponent. Scott, on the other hand, splits the difference between myself and Dr. J., he has Georgia still going 12 and on the regular season, as I mentioned earlier, but but he believes losing the SEC championship game would be enough for Georgia to be disqualified from the playoff this year because Georgia has a weak schedule by SEC and Georgia standards, and the biggest reason for that is twofold: a) the SEC took the Oklahoma game away in anticipation of Oklahoma joining the conference, which really hurts Georgia's out of conference schedule because. They no longer have that big marquee game like Oregon last year to hang their hat on. That game was a blowout. Oregon looks terrible in that game. And then they go on to figure out they're actually a top 10, top 15 team because they played excellent the rest of the year. Georgia doesn't have that to rely on. So if they don't run the table in the SEC, it's a tough sell if they don't have top 10 or top 15 wins to fall back on. And I've heard a lot of grumbling about how easy Georgia's schedule is. And I will say this. That's not Georgia's fault. The reason that Georgia's schedule is easy is because Florida and Auburn suck right now. If Florida and Auburn were playing at the level that they should be at, which is consistently in the top 15, top 10, Georgia's schedule would be just fine. But because those two schools are down, well, now Georgia's schedule is not good. Think about Tennessee's schedule if Alabama and Georgia were eight-win teams. Their schedule looks a lot different. But because Alabama and Georgia are juggernauts, their schedule is habitually hard. Four years ago, Georgia's schedule was plenty hard when Auburn and Florida were holding up their end of the deal. Now Tennessee being the only team that's really sh- competitive, Georgia has a weak schedule. And there's not a whole lot they can do about it until the SEC shifts its format in the next couple of years. So the bottom line is that this is another Georgia team that we all feel should be competing for national championship. There are so many factors that will determine whether we get there with question marks at quarterback, running back health, and play calling. But I think at the end of the day, you're going to see a team that puts out a top 10 offense and a top 5 defense again and is right there at the end. And we all agree that the big swing factors, and they're the obvious ones, are the play calling of Mike Bobo and the quarterback play that the Bulldogs get from Carson Beck. Those are the swing factors. If they approach anywhere close to the level of play calling and quarterback production we got the last couple years out of Todd Munkin, Setson Bennett, Kirby might have the first three-peat in recent college football history. Let's hope that's the truth. This has been David Thay for the Tide Run Sports Podcast. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.